3: Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey guys, we'll get to film study in just a minute, but I
0: got to share this
2: with you. Do you know what that sound is? It's the sound of me opening up my fresh can of Liquid Death. Make sure you guys are check out Liquid Death. I love it. I've been drinking a ton of it lately there's something magical about it somehow the water in a can just seems colder than any bottle i've used before make sure you're checking out liquid death pick it up next time you're at the
4: grocery store
2: i love it
1: hi folks welcome to another episode of of film study this is ken McCusick. We're here to discuss the offense from the Week 4 game against the Bills, one that really started out well. Obviously, the Ravens let another big lead get away at home, which is unfortunate. Uh, one of the best things that I find cathartic about this is, is talking to someone very knowledgeable about football uh, after the fact and kind of getting our heads straight about, I can't think of anyone more level-headed or knowledgeable than Childs Walker. Childs, how you doing?
2: Uh, I'm doing well, Ken. Uh, th- thanks for having me. Uh, I do. I feel like I'm on a bit of a cold streak here, though, because the last time I was on – we did a preview pod talking about Ronnie Stanley and Michael Pierce. That hasn't turned out so well.
1: <laughs> no, it
2: hasn't. We we, we 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 talked a lot about injuries, and sure enough, uh, sure enough, that's been the narrative uh, with, with both of those guys. And then uh, and now we have we have this game to, to talk about, which uh, has the uh, has the fan base in quite a tizzy. So uh, so yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like uh, maybe, maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm a little cursed right now, but uh, we'll 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 soldier through.
4: <laughs> yeah,
1: don't 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 really believe in that stuff anyway. So that's no, uh, that's good. No. So we will continue. <laughs> and I know, you know, from your writing, it's very clear that the level headedness, in particular, where you are right now from your article today, I really liked. Uh, you know, the, the close losses have really mounted up on this fan base, on this team. Uh, you know, probably on the coaching staff, and 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 perhaps even on Steve Bashadi in terms of five straight losses by a total of twelve points over over the last, you know you know, three last year, two this year, you know, the second consecutive big lead lost, obviously very disturbing in terms of, you know, it, it, it coming with a, a passing offense, basically taking them down pretty, uh, pretty thoroughly in the second half. But I I want you to take us into a little bit of, of what was in your article this morning, some of the mood of the team, maybe, and I I don't want to talk, talk you through it. You, you start us off.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about being level-headed and, and and I do try to do that. I mean, I try to, I always try to think through the game first as if I didn't know all of what happened last year and I didn't necessarily know the mood of the fan base and then sort of bring that stuff back into it after I've tried to think through the game, you know, as cool heavily as I can. And I think it's important to do that, to do that in part because I think that's what the coaches and the players have to do, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they can't afford to get swept up in a moment like that. I mean, they have to move on and sort of figure out, the nuts and bolts things they can fix, but really always be thinking forward. And 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 that's basically what most of them will tell you in the even in the moments immediately after a loss like that. I mean, they're already mostly thinking ahead. Um uh, I mean, you know, Sunday was interesting. I think because of the Marcus Peters outburst on the sideline at the end. Obviously that's not something that we normally see. He was very frustrated. Uh he was directly frustrated with with Harbaugh. Um and we still have not heard from him on that. I mean, he was gone from the locker room by the time that we got in after uh after the podium session. So, I mean, we'll we'll see if he talks this week and you know explains what was going through through his head. Um Harbaugh obviously has sort of downplayed that and said, mm-hmm. you know, I love Marcus. I I love the fact that he cares that much. I, you know, I couldn't have more respect for his football knowledge. And, you know, I think everybody will tell you there's not a smarter football guy in the locker room than than, than Marcus Peters. So not surprising that he would have a strong view on, on how that situation should have been handled. Um, but I think this is probably something that Harbaugh has learned over the years, you know, sort of not to overreact to a situation like this and say, you know, I, I understand this guy. He's an important part of the team in, in a nuts and bolts way he's an important part of the team culture. I'm not going to overreact to it. We'll talk about it at some point. And, you know, I know how to get through these situations because we've done it before. So, I mean, that was mostly what we heard from the players in in the locker room as well. I mean, you know, the calm guys were, were pretty calm. Like you would think they would be. I mean, Calais Mm -hmm. Campbell has kind of seen it all over 15 years. And I mean, he said, you know, this, this isn't, this isn't the end of the world. I mean, Lamar, same, same thing. You know, he, he went back to 2019 and said, look, we were two and two in 2019. We got blown out in week four and we went on to be the best regular season team in the league. Um, then you had some guys like Mark Andrews who were, who were a little more defiant and clearly, uh, you know, didn't probably didn't love some of the questions. But I mean, the, the the tone was very much trying to put it in perspective and say, yes, we're disappointed, but it's early and we know how to get over stuff like this.
1: So the thing I, I actually rushed out of the stadium, because one of the things when, when we're done at the stadium and we record certain things while we're there, and then I rush home, do the rest of my analysis and write articles, and whatnot, just like you, I'm sure, in terms of your, I uh, think, you're, except you're in the press box and you're right. going to the clubhouse and you're taking quotes. Uh, but we're, all, we're rushing to get our work done after the game. Anyway, I missed the Marcus Peters explosion. So I didn't see it at the game. I heard about it afterwards. And by the time I got to the car, Harbaugh was already at the podium. And Harbaugh had, was probably almost seems like he was at a not awake, because those could be happy a, a more like a, uh, um, a a funeral a uh, a morgue you know whatever in terms of his responses he was he was he was very curt uh, you know I think he gave the reporters very quickly the understanding he really didn't want to talk about what had just happened I don't know if that was related to Peters but how did you observe his kind of interview demeanor after the game
2: I thought it was pretty typical for him after a difficult loss I mean it, 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 it did not strike me as overly somber and in fact I, I actually asked him the Mercus Peters question and I was surprised that he answered it to the degree that he did I mean I, I I thought he might just sort of say hey that's between me and him you know we'll talk about it during the week I don't expect it to be a problem instead he he, he gave a little bit more of a personal answer and you know sort of spoke to how he views Marcus Peters specifically. And, you know, I, I, th- I thought it actually answered the question. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I mean, and and then on Monday, you know, when, when we did our typical, you know, Monday, Monday session with him, uh, I thought he did a good job of going through, you know, the sort of particulars of the game is he's often very good after a loss on, on those Mondays after a loss. He, he's often, uh, he kind of goes into teacher mode and a lot of times he'll, He'll really tell you more about what's going on with the team in a technical way than he does after a win. Um, so I wasn't surprised that he was he was that way this Monday. So I, I I didn't read his mood coming out of that game to be any different than it's been coming out of a lot of tough games in the past. Uh,
1: okay, that's first of all, that's good. I, I want to hear two things about that. The first was there was a, some sort of a psychology question that came up today in terms of uh, is this going to weigh on the mindset of the team? Where he referenced the team's psychologist.
2: Yeah, that was, that, that was kind of a, an interesting answer. Um, because I, I mean, I think the question was basically like, you know, how are you going to tend to the mood of the team after, you know, after another loss like this? I mean, that, that was the, I, I don't remember the exact wording of the question, but that was the gist of it. And he did take kind of an interesting tact with it and brought and brought up the team psychologist, which, you know, I, I didn't, didn't necessarily expect him to do, but I didn't necessarily read a ton into it either. I mean, I, Really, my takeaway from that answer was he was saying, Look, I'm not worried about these guys. They know how to deal with, you know, difficult times in the course of a season. What we really have to do is clean up our mistakes as, as, as a team, not worry about how guys are feeling right now. You know, not, not that that's irrelevant. I mean, it's, it's, it's always a part of sports, but I, I think he almost meant it as a statement of confidence about his guys that he doesn't think they're going to be dwelling on this in an emotional way, that, you know, it's really they got to clean up football stuff.
1: Yeah, that's that's uh that's great. And I would I would hope for exactly that from Harbaugh is extremely good in terms of understanding, first of all, what information to give out and what information not to give out. One thing I kind of wondered is if anybody would ask him a question about the process of decision making that goes into the two-point conversion. Because it's sorry, not the two point conversion, the uh the going forward on fourth and, forth and right. two from the two, awful similar. But but the the uh I I know that's potentially a question that could that could start peeling a scab. But it's also the kind of question that I think if people understood what the process was, that they would understand better that Harbaugh isn't juggling a ton of things to do it. He's not having to do a lot of math himself. It's actually being framed up pretty easily for him. Um, but I don't know if he's ever spoken to that. Has he ever spoken to the notion of a break-even probability?
2: Um, I don't think he's put it exactly that way, but he has talked about the process in a little more detail in the past didn't so much this week. I mean, he, he, he again went through his sort of broader reasons for doing what he did, but um, I do think he has answered the process question in the past. And it's basically what you said. I mean, he, he has there, they have someone on staff who is, you know, has, has a good understanding of, of what the equation is and that will be presented to him. And then he'll sort of incorporate that along with, you know, his sense of the flow of the game, his sense of the other team, his sense of how his offense is performing, et cetera, et cetera. And I would say make a combination gut analytical decision. I mean, that's that's again, I don't know that that's exactly how he would put it, but I, I think that's basically how he's answered that question over the years.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's probably how he would put it, and and I think relying on the model uh, exclusively as it is is probably, or relying on models, whatever they may have, uh, is probably not perfect. But I will, t- I'm, I'm gonna, I promise people one mathematical walkthrough on this today, and how this might be presented to Harbaugh. So I, I just want to go through this quickly because we talked a lot about some of the reasons to do it and not to do it on the sh- on the defense show. But I thought we, we we would just do this. So you you need to find you need to find the break even probability. That's the useful number in there but to basically state to John Harbaugh. John, the possibility if if the probability is forty one percent or higher, then we should go for this. If the probability is lower than that, we should not. All right? But the break even is forty one, and and I think you know. The method in which you go through that, if fans kind of understood it, I think might might help a little bit. So we just did it for this particular case using the Ben Baldwin model, which is out there, Ben Baldwin bot. If you follow him on Twitter, they'll often produce little pages of information that surprisingly it doesn't include the break-even probability, which it should. But uh, but here's the the, the equation you need to solve. And if you're if you're looking at the um picture that I provided, you'll see Childs on the right and me on the left with that funny equation under me. This is the equation we're going to talk about. Very basic algebra. It's 0.49 is what Baldwin Bot says is the probability of the Ravens winning the game if they fail to make the two point conversion. So I'm going to multiply, I'm going to take the 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 two pos, two possible outcomes of, of making or missing the two the sorry the two point conversion, the touchdown. scoring from the the touchdown yeah. from the two yard line on the left side of the equation, add them up. And then I have to have that total be equal to or greater than the probability of making a field goal will give them in terms of winning the game. So let me go through that. I think there's some terms in there that people will generally understand, but maybe it's it's a a little bit more easier if we go through the example. So according to Baldwin, if they had missed on the two-point conversion, a lot of those – Jesus, the the touchdown (laughs) attempt – they still win the game about 49% of the time. A lot of that was probably due to the fact that they'd have left the bills close to the goal line, starting out a drive from there. Of course, the worst possible thing happened. Right. And they came out to the 20 yard line uh, on the play and got a much easier place to start. Um, but if you take 0.49 times the probability of failure, which is one minus P plus you add the probability of winning. If they score a touchdown was just 83% times P the probability of scoring that touchdown. That has to be equal or greater than 0.63. So, when P, if you solve that, when P equals 0.41, 41%, then you have a break-even probability. That's your—that's the probability you need or higher in order to to uh, go for the touchdown. There, it was a fairly easy call in my judgment. I would say, you know, since two-point conversions are normally about 45 to 50%, depending on the team, th- these conditions they might have been worse. I, I think it's 43%, 45 47% would still be reasonable for the Ravens making it. So I think it was probably the correct move. But what I did is I asked people online what their, what I thought their chance of, of making it was. And there were a few people who actually said, I think the chance was 45% and that's why I would have wanted to kick. Well, if the chance is 45%, you, go you, for it. you, you really should have wanted to go for it. So anyway, yeah. that's the, that's the math. I won't spend any more time on that. I know you guys are listening on a pod in the car, but if you want to try and solve that <laughs> equation yourself, uh go look at the picture of me and childs that's that's uh, on the twitter promo for this and you'll be able to, to to see what it is
2: well and and again you know i don't think harbo would lay out that equation for you but i think i think basically the way he was thinking about it is he thought that if they kicked the field goal they were probably going to lose the game 27 to
1: 23
2: yeah i mean i think if you had to boil it down that's that's really what was in his head i think it was as simple as that
1: and they and, probably would have, right,
2: right, <laughs> so. and, and I, 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 exactly, I find it hard to disagree with to, to disagree with that. And I mean, you, I know you, you sort of talked about this, uh, you talked about this on Twitter, and you talked about this in in your defense notes and on the the defense pod. But um, you know, people in these situations always say, "Oh, I, I, I thought they should have kicked the field goal before before what actually happened happened." Yeah. Um, but I, I just. That's just not how the mind works, right? I mean, people, people are inevitably reacting to the result. I mean, they're, they're analyzing the result. And I, I, don't, I don't even blame people for that. It's the natural human impulse, right? But uh, I, I just don't, I think it's extremely hard for people, especially after an emotional loss, to take, to, to take themselves back to the moment of decision rather than to incorporate what actually happened, right? I mean, I, I just think it's very difficult.
1: Yeah, I think I think you have to have something else in the game to quote unquote blame the loss on. So instead of that, you go to the roughing the passer penalty, or instead of that you go to, you know, some other play in the game that didn't work. Uh I I, I there are people who can dissociate on that basis, I think. But uh I, I'm I agree with you that it is not normal to to, to basically be able to to have a uh I think it's more likely that that people go backwards than than uh, than really are able to put themselves in exactly that point in time to do it. There's something else going on here, though, because John Harbaugh has an aggressive style. And, uh, you know, one of the natures of of quote unquote being aggressive, which really just means making correct mathematical decisions that are closer to the line than other team, other coaches would push it, um, is that there are more high leverage decisions. And and it's it's really not that exactly as your 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 small losses that accumulate you don't you're not really counting those all the fourth and one Tomlin punts that the Pittsburgh Steelers fans hate um, believe me they're 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 costing the Steelers wins but yeah. they're not really counting them in the same way they're 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 as horrible as you know a missed two point conversion or or this missed touchdown opportunity and. I that's, that's, what's really strange about it is we don't celebrate the wins and you know, the fourth and one call against Kansas city, hundred percent, the correct call. I mean, I, I, I absolutely the correct call, I, you know, they went for it, they made it in that particular case. And I, it just doesn't seem like we celebrate that as much as we, you know, want to cane this decision for, for what it was.
2: No, I agree. I, and, but, but I think it's inevitable. So I don't, um, I don't spend a lot of time feeling agitated at the people who process it the way that they do, because I mean, okay. I, you know, that's, it's, it's human nature and, you know, we know how the aftermath of a game like that's going to be right. Yeah. And it's followed the script exactly. So we probably, we probably don't need to perseverate it anymore here. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I agree. the only, the only other thing I would say is I really don't like people to to throw out the uh, forget about the math. I don't care about the math. You, you don't even bother telling me the math kind of thing. Uh, this is the way these problems are solved in football. Now, if you want to look at the model and say, these assumptions aren't correct, perfectly reasonable. Hey, I, I worked in model validation as my last job as an actuary, uh, you know, it's, it's perfectly reasonable to want to look at a model, but it's not reasonable to say, don't use a model to make this decision or don't tell me you used a model to make this decision. I, cause I know better. Uh, that's ridiculous.
2: Well, yeah. And it's out of, as you, as you said, it's out of step with how teams are doing it. So, I mean, you're just not, you know, you're 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 not with the times of the sport if you're if you're refusing to uh, incorporate that. So
1: yeah, it's it's funny in baseball we we now you know we went through the Moneyball period and now you know the Moneyball people are are all in charge of the sport pretty much and you know people like Elias and Mejdell and all the guys are 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 running the thing and and you know running the, the the slick operations in football we're getting there you know the Cleveland Browns are are basically run by an analytics group now uh, in a lot of ways and uh, you know I think I think it's probably only going to get more. Uh, and not less as we, uh, as we move forward and some of the dinosaurs kind of retire from coaching and, and uh, uh, a lot of ways to hire new people.
2: Well, and also more, more and more of the people who buy teams are, are are going to be of that mindset. They're going to come from worlds where that kind of thinking is, is just intrinsic to everything they do. I mean, we've seen that, certainly seen that in other sports. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, there's, we're not, we're not going back.
1: C- completely agree. This by the way, the PFF lost their head of R and D to a new, and this has me really scared, to a new, I think it's a hedge fund group that's <laughs> trying to put together models of how to accumulate the best talent for pro sports franchises. So it sounds like this guy wants to own sports franchises, probably has billions. And, uh, you know, he's hired one of the really great applied mathematicians to be, uh, you know, one of the partners in his group that's doing this. I, I'm, I'm already worried about that team joining the NFL when they do.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, uh, really nasty day in terms of rain, but a little bit of variation from half to half, a second half a lot worse in terms of the 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 rain. do you guys do you guys get a sense of that when you're in the press box or or do they have the windows all nice and shut up and you're uh
2: yeah we you know we don't we don't certainly don't get as good a sense of it as as you do sitting in the stands um now certainly that was a storyline going into this game, so I mean I think it was something that we were all trying to keep an eye on and I mean you know when the when the rain picked up, I feel like it picked up maybe early in the second quarter um maybe midway through the second quarter mm-hmm. i I'm, I'm not sure exactly but i remember thinking at that point that the ravens were in fantastic position because they had they had built up a lead and the weather seemed to be getting worse i mean that that seemed to be it seemed like they had gotten their important work in while it wasn't too bad and now yeah. it was going to be much tougher for for buffalo to come back obviously it didn't turn out that way but i mean I, that was that was my thought uh that was my thought when it, when it first started to come down
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's a great point. We go back to the, to the flip of the coin, I mean, Buffalo won it. They didn't defer, which is very unusual, well, right. somewhat unusual. Let's call it. Right. They took the ball first. And I think it was weather related that they did it. They'd also scored, I think on their last eight first drives. You might know this. I, I, yeah, I, I put poison the notes.
2: I think, I think that's right. It was, uh, I, I know people were quoting that stat in the press box. It was either seven or eight. Yeah. But it was some, it was some, you know, fairly, uh, fairly extraordinary streak. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's move on a little bit and talk about. Let's talk about Lamar. Um, uh, the Bills used Tremaine Edmonds a little bit to spy him in this game, had some modest effectiveness with that. Of course, Lamar did get free a few times on scrambles and is still coming up with a very good, by the way, scramble yards versus sack yards relationship uh, on the air. He's still, if you, if you, one, one stat I like to look at is because Lamar really intentionally does not throw the ball away because he always thinks he can make a play with his legs or, or perhaps late with his arms. And if you add up the sacks and the, and the scramble yards he's had, uh, he's at something like four yards per carry. It might be 3.8 now this year. So mm-hmm. it's hardly a throwaway play when you can get that kind of a return on it. So uh, I think that's been good, but Tremaine Edmonds was used as a spy. Uh, some in this, in this game, uh, he's a, a pretty good pass defender, and, and unfortunately, the Bills are one of those teams. One of the huge edges they have over the Ravens is they have good uh, inside linebackers in terms of pass coverage. And both him and Milano are just terrific, uh, and I thought they both played pretty well in on this one.
2: Yeah, I and I, I, I thought against the run too. I mean, it was it was mm-hmm. very striking going back and watching the game um, how good those guys are. How you know how often you saw them making quick quick reads and. You know, then not just getting to where they needed to be, but finishing finishing the play. I mean, it's just, you know, I just kept thinking over and over and jotting down over and over in my in my notes, you know, that 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 is just a re- really, really good player. He's really good at his job. And, you know, sa- sadly, we d- we don't see that consistently from the Ravens inside linebackers. I mean, I know, I know we're not uh we're not talking about defense, but I mean I, I did think that was a stark contrast in, in this game, how, how those guys played. But uh I, I guess one of the overall things that struck me uh in reviewing Lamar's performance is uh he really didn't he did not look downfield very much in this game. Now, maybe that's not terribly surprising because we know we know the Bills hardly blitz at all and they're able to get pressure without blitzing, which, you know, means you don't necessarily have those attack chances that he's had against previous opponents. Um but gosh, I mean they they just I mean, he wasn't even attempting passes down down downfield really. I I don't know what his longest air yard pass of the game was, but it, it couldn't have been it couldn't have been that long. Um so so that component of their game was really was really taken out. And look, I, I think you have to give Buffalo credit. I mean, they're 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 good. I mean, they have they have tremendous edge guys, they have the 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 good the good inside linebackers and uh you know they, they just they they didn't give him a lot to take shots at.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things I think that you can feel good about after this game is that's it's a very talented football team they yep. lost to. I, I feel that about Miami as well. Uh and Miami may have problems without Tua, but that's a, that's a very good football team and and one that's likely to be around come mid-January. Uh you know, it's both of those losses. I mean, they're bad losses because they're you know big comebacks and you had it, but uh, you know, it's it at least they were to the good teams. At least you don't, you know, you don't blow a big lead against uh uh, Detroit or something and have them come back against you it's uh it's a little different
2: yeah um and and, and I guess the other thing that struck me about, about Lamar is that uh I thought his biggest miss opportunity throws were mostly plays where he was affected by pressure I I don't know mm-hmm. I don't know if you charted that specifically but that that was that was something that struck me in rewatching the game that maybe was not as clear to me as I was watching it at the time I mean like there was a there was a play uh early in the game on a drive that ended with them kicking a field goal where Andrews did break free in the end zone and Lamar overthrew him but in looking back at it um Lamar did have to throw the ball more quickly than he would have wanted to because because he was under pressure and there were I think multiple plays like that in the game including obviously the the big fourth down play at the end so I mean that that you know we thought Buffalo's ability to pressure without blitzing would be a major story in the game and it ended up being a major story in the game
1: yeah it absolutely was. I mean, it, they it, we do a little bit on the pass rush now because we've you've, you've teed it up so nicely, but uh, they rushed four, 24 times, five, six times and six one time in the game. Uh, so so almost an 80 percent rate of of non-blitzes, which is is high for for anybody, uh, what was incredible about that is even with a four-man pass rush 24 times, they got pressure 15 out of 31. Yeah, that's unacceptable. I mean, yeah. they, they obviously a tough game for the tackles in both cases. I've seen a lot of very conciliatory comments and tweets about Fa'alelei's play and and Moses's. I haven't really seen a lot of conciliatory about Moses' play, but neither of them really played very well. That's that's the truth of the matter. They they both kind of were getting beat, uh, and uh, and I'll, I'll go through that some in the offensive line play. But yeah, uh, Lamar only had seven times in the whole game. Despite all this four-man rush, where he had a three-second pocket and a, a ample time and space, and those plays didn't go well. By the way, five of seven for 18 yards on those plays. Right. Wet field, wet a lot of things. Wet ball obviously wasn't wasn't good there. With with the ball out quickly, which is where the Ravens have made some good hay this year, particularly against teams like Miami, where they had the good slant pass to uh, to Bateman. Seven of nine for 39 yards. So that's you know 4.3 yards per play. That's not particularly good either. Um, but they had 15 plays for 77 yards, a little bit over five yards per play, uh, when there was pressure. So just overall, a, a pretty crappy day, um, throwing the football. So, uh, yeah. yeah.
2: And I know, um, we're, we're, we're probably going to talk about Bateman a little bit more later, but I mean, I did think one of the other, one of the other key plays was that, that play in the, in the third quarter, uh, third down pass from, from Lamar, I think it was third and eight and, uh, you know, it was a time timing route and, the ball goes off bateman's hands if he catches that ball it's certainly a first down could have potentially been a much bigger play mm-hmm. Now, look there there are a lot of factors there i mean you know you mentioned the the slick conditions um bateman was already dealing with a foot injury at that point that that may have played into it at the same time i think you expect a number one wide receiver to catch that ball i mean you know it's basically hits him in stride it's off his hands and that could have been a, a major play in the game uh because the bills get the ball back right there and they march down for the game tying touchdown so Uh, that was a pivotal moment.
1: Yeah, that that was certainly his big drop of the game. And if you look at this, at least I've seen multiple scorings of this, but one of them is the the Bills had six drops in the game, at least that's the way I counted it, and the Ravens had two. And Bateman's were the two drops that the the, uh, Ravens had. One of them was a ball that was a little bit behind him, Yeah, and I don't think it was going to be a good play anyway. That was the earlier one. The one you're you're talking about later was much more of a he could have done something with it uh, after the catch. Uh, but he did make another great extension grab, perfect throw from Lamar. That, that I thought that was probably perfect.
2: Lamar's. That was probably Lamar's best throw. Of best the game. throw of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And he, and he got it. Lamar also did get helped out, obviously, by Duvernay on the left sideline. Maybe the tandem of Duvernay and and uh, and uh, Andrews. I I don't know if you were you were in Baltimore. I I know you were in Baltimore. Yeah, in two thousand and three. Were you already yeah. working for the Sun at that point? I was
2: working for the Sun, but I was not covering sports.
1: Okay. All right. So I don't know if you remember that Seattle game or not, but uh, Marcus Robinson tipped the ball to Frank Sanders and it was right down that left sideline in, in about the same spot. So it was uh, uh, in, the, in the big comeback against uh, in Seattle. All right. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those aluminum cans that comes in are recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities so they won't just end up in your local landfill like plastic bottles. Go get liquid death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hi-V. Or find Liquid Death re- retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com front slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com front slash film study. All right. So what else do we have to talk about? Uh, the injury debatement obviously really concerns me in terms of, of what's going to happen going forward. The Ravens are playing so light on receivers. They actually yeah. won't have a problem finding a replacement for his snaps, but finding a replacement for the quality is a, is a much bigger concern.
2: Now, when we, when we asked Harbaugh about that on Monday, he did sort of downplay the seriousness of it, um, said that he saw Rashad on Monday and Rashad told him that he, he was day to day. Um, so I don't think you can, I don't think you can count on him playing Sunday night, but I don't think you can rule it out either. And I agree that that's, it's, it's a big deal. I mean, even with some of the inconsistency that we've seen from him, uh,
1: they don't really have
2: anybody else like him. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, it'd be Demarcus Robinson, I think, taking over at the X spot. If uh, if that didn't happen, he he certainly played a lot of snaps in this game. Yep. Uh, so that, that might make sense. But uh, he, uh, yeah, he's he's the man, and and, and they got to have him back. And of course, anytime you hear mid foot injury, you know one particular name comes to mind, and and it's not a good one. Nope. No. So we don't we let's not say it because it's it's like saying Beetlejuice. will show up, um, right? Uh, Let's see. What else we want to talk about here? Uh, the injury to Hill, a significant injury to the Ravens and obviously gutsy run there to hop it out for, for that, that additional yardage. I, I thought he was terrific on that whole drive. (laughs) Um,
2: I mean, he had, he had three double digit runs on, on that drive, which obviously it's the drive that ends in, in the ultimate disappointment, but I mean, great drive to that point. And he, he and Lamar were, were the key components to it. And, uh, I I mean, uh, Hill's done a really nice job of taking advantage of relatively limited running opportunities this year. Um, And I I didn't, you know, I thought he really made plays on those runs too. I mean, I I didn't think it was something where the seas just parted for him. I mean, he, he, uh, he beat Milano uh, kind of one-on-one to get outside on one of those runs. And then uh, on, on the longer run where he ended up having the injury, he, uh, I think it was a draw and he, and he sort of fainted at the line of scrimmage and then, and then kicked it outside. And, really made something of it. So I mean he's he was a guy who um you know I think I think you would say he was a mild disappointment through his through the beginning of his Ravens career and then missed all the last season. And you know, Harbaugh said the other week, I mean this is this is a time when the arrow is really pointing up for him. So you know to have him pull up like like that at that moment, really unfortunate. Um at the same time it does seem like the news on that is better than it might have been uh because apparently it's not a really serious hamstring injury and though I would not expect him to play this week I would expect him to to miss a few games probably um it doesn't seem like he's going to be out for a huge chunk of the season which you know whenever you see a guy just pull up like that without without any contact I mean you know you think the worst you know uh, you know especially with a guy who's torn an Achilles and uh so it seems like you know, he maybe dodged a bit of a bullet there, even though it's uh, it's going to certainly hurt them to be without him on on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I, I, unbelievably painful to be without him because he, he, he's been such a stark contrast to the Ravens' other backs that they've had. Even Dobbins, yeah. who's good, is a good cutback back, but he's not really the outside speed back the Ravens have needed. And you know, they've had guys who they can't trust with the mesh point uh, back there, like McCrary. It appears because I mean, otherwise he would have he would still be around. Tyson Williams. Who would otherwise still be around, except they probably don't don't trust him with it either. And th- their their reaction to it is bringing bringing these veteran backs who are not terrible between the tackles necessarily, but when you know they can't run anywhere but between the tackles, or maybe you know just as a as a slight off tackle runner, um, they're not nearly as good. And that's where they are with the last four you know geriatric bags backs is probably a bad way to put it, but it's not. It gets the message across. You know, with with Devontae uh, Freeman last year. And actually there's there's more than that with Bell, yeah, uh, with Murray.
2: Five, it's at least five.
1: Five. Yeah. yeah. Bell, Murray, and the two this year, um, helped me out Davis, who played two snaps in this game and, and Ken, and Drake. Ken Yeah. 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 And and uh, you know, Hill, you know, to your point, took the job away from those guys. You know, they were brought in to 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 you know to be the 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 one two backs and and Hill played well enough basically that he became the number one back even before Dobbins returned. Yeah, I w- I was not at all certain that he was going to make the team coming yeah. into
2: coming into training camp. I mean, I, I you know, I honestly thought he might be on the wrong side of the bubble because they really seemed to like Beatty too. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if they at least consider pulling up Beatty from the practice squad for for this game, just to get a little little more speed in the mix, which they would be lacking if if Hill in fact can't go. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think Hill had easily been their most dynamic runner over, over the last few weeks, and uh, and and I do. I do think that's a big deal, and I, it's it's very much to his credit that he was able to get himself back to this point in his career. Because I mean, you know, he was certainly he was certainly adrift there for a couple of years.
1: Yeah, obviously, you know, no one wants to be hurt and and be missing time. But I mean, that's exactly and Chad's. I'm sure you're no different from me in this. One of the easiest articles to write during the preseason, uh, during the, during camp, is who's going to not make the team. And basically just look at the, the fourth year players. Yeah. The and bubble f- guys, yeah. they're, they're automatic bubble guys. Sure. If, if you're not a superstar at that point, in a lot of cases, if you're not resigned at that point, you're, you're, you're really a bubble guy. And, and, uh, and Hill was for that reason. And there'd be all the more reason for any, what do we even have to be a guy they drafted Beatty? I thought was definitely going to make the team. He didn't, but they w- they could have gone to somebody else's cast adrift R or one player. And found a guy that they had they you know that had an upside that wasn't Justice Hill. But you know, obviously they saw enough from from Hill and and he certainly has, has contributed on special teams over the years when he's been healthy, um, that, that he was worthwhile to, to to carry this time.
2: Another another small piece of good news that came maybe maybe not even small, that came out on Monday, and it's not, probably not gonna be a factor for the Bengals game, but uh it does seem like Gus Edwards is just gonna start practicing this week, which you know nobody said this openly, but I mean I I think I think there was some real pessimism around him at the beginning of camp, some some real worry that he was a good bit behind where Dobbins was. Um, so just the fact that he's seemingly going to be out there this week, um, which sets him on the path toward playing, you know, sometime before the middle of the season, that 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 could be a pretty big deal.
1: It's I think it's a huge deal. And and part of it uh, comes down to the Ravens are really into a forced activation spot on him, right? So they have three weeks he, he can practice. Correct. And then they have to make a call. And so they could add him to walking wounded inactive and given the, the healthy ability to bring up players in the practice squad, that might not be too costly to them, but I, I think it's not a, it's not a move they would take lightly to start him practicing now.
2: No, they wouldn't start his practice clock unless they were legitimately optimistic that, yeah. that he's close to ready. So that's, you know, that's something for people to be excited
1: about. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, chance they bring up Tyler Beatty. You think he'll be a practice squad elevation this week then? Would you guess? I don't know. I haven't puzzled it out yet. Um, it's
2: certainly it's it's certainly something we were talking about the other day. You know, in the the, the, the reporters, um, just because of what we talked about. I mean, the Justice Hill, you know, presuming Justice Hill can't can't play on Sunday, um, it's it's hard to get too excited about the idea of Drake or Davis being the being the complement to to Dobbins, right? Because we've because yeah. because we've seen that. we we, we've seen that act and it doesn't have a lot of upside um now i i honestly i don't i don't know though where they are in their thinking on Beatty. we haven't we haven't asked harbaugh about that for quite a while um i mean when he when he didn't make the 53 he you know you inevitably become a little bit of an afterthought but um he there there is some dynamism there so so it's at least something i think you have to think about yes
1: it's it's one of the nice things so far is that even though you know the the replacement level is a moving target over the season it drops as you move on and you know, we've talked about that I think before Charles but but the the uh, uh, nice thing is that the Ravens who had some players that they really liked and couldn't didn't have room for uh, Anthony Brown comes to mind Bader, Beatty is certainly one Mac is another none of them have been taken yet off the practice squad which I think is really fortunate.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and you mentioned Knack. I mean, he, he could certainly come into play, you know, with 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 Pierce out of the picture. So uh so so yeah, I mean it it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see if, if, if Beatty factors at some point this season. I mean, I I they were they were extremely high on him in the summer and the beginning of camp. Um, I don't think he made the most of his opportunities in training camp, but uh, I certainly think they liked him enough that he'll get another shot at some point.
1: Did did you notice in training camp that he had problems with the mesh point at all? Cause that's, that's one of the really big things is, is it was Lamar there and not able to pull late or was he was with their fumbles, you know, fumbles would be the most obvious way you'd probably see it, but even not being able to pull late is a problem.
2: You know, I, I don't remember that being a particular problem with him. It doesn't, it doesn't jump out in my mind. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's not to say there weren't a few examples of that. I mean, of course we didn't, uh, we didn't get to see him play with Lamar in the preseason so I mean we didn't mm-hmm. we didn't see it under game conditions um but uh no I I just I feel like there were there probably weren't as many uh there probably weren't as many big plays as maybe they thought there would be I mean there there, there just weren't a lot of moments where he really flashed and you said wow that guy in okay. the course of training camp which which you know I think with the new player to some degree that's what they're looking for
1: All right. Well, let's let's go on and and talk about scheme a little bit, because to me, the story of the 2022 Ravens offense hasn't just been Lamar Jackson and the way he's kind of carried the team on its back. It's been the way the Ravens offense has been run. And for you folks out there, I know I've been talking about this on a weekly basis, but this is a historic offense. They have played for the season less than 11 percent. I believe it's less than 10 percent, 11 personnel the entire season, the lowest in the last since 2016 is 25 percent by the 19. Sorry, sorry by the by the 2019 Vikings. Okay, uh, there's no team which has come close to the number of heavies per play. Now I'm saying heavies. I'm adding the fullback, the tight end, and any sixth offensive lineman snaps. And the Ravens these last three weeks have been at 2.39, 2.35, and 2.31. I want to put that in. Perspective here because I don't think any team in the last six years in the entire NFL has been as high as two for a season. Okay. So, and the, the Ravens are, you know, three tenths of a, a player above that right now. But if you have 12 personnel on the field, you have two heavies. If you have 21 personnel on the field, you have two heavies. Those are considered by today's NFL standards, extremely heavy formations. 11 personnel dominates the NFL right now. And uh, it's just, this is the story about the Ravens' offense. In, in my thinking, the Ravens have put fourteen personnel on the field five times. <laughs> uh, they, they've uh, they've done some amazing things, but they're just they're only playing about one uh, One point eight was the number this last week. One point eight um, wide receivers per play. So you know that's that's so far short of the three needed to to field eleven personnel. It's not even funny. Uh, but is that getting talked about at all among the among the writers that you've seen?
2: You know, it's it's interesting. Not not in those terms. Not I. I I haven't heard like when we've had our sessions with Greg Roman. I have not heard him ask ask that specifically. Like in in a percentage of 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 twelve personnel kind 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 of way. Um, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, he he of course always he he always goes back to using the the medieval term, right? Um. Mm -hmm. But I, I, you know, I, I guess it's it's lit, it's kind of literal in 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 this case, in in the, in the sense that, you know, we're, we're pulling trends that you probably we probably haven't seen in decades, right? I mean, it's yeah. it really is a it is a genuine blast from the past. It's not just a cute line.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I tried to look at some of the other teams that that ran really heavy, like the 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 2019 49ers were a team that mm-hmm. you know just had all sorts of you know had you could put Kittle on the field with use check play after play after play. They didn't run anywhere near as heavy, not anywhere near. Uh, I, and so it's really only that Vikings team that's that's done a little bit of it. And uh, I wish the data went further back on this. And I could probably, you know, piece it together from stuff that's out there in game books and whatnot. But, it, you know, it's, it's a lot of work to do that. I, 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 uh, Walter Sharp Football has, has good information on the stuff. But this is historic. And, and I, I think that, you know, part of what they would say is that Isaiah likely is more like a wide receiver than a tight end. And I, I mean, some of that's true, but he lines up in line. You know, they expect him to block. Um, There is a big tell, though, uh, and that is that likely when he's in there, they're almost certainly going to pass the ball against the Bills. He was in for 26 snaps. 23 of those were passes and three were runs. And for the season, it's been 81% of his snaps that have been uh, passes while they're in there. You go to flip them over to the two guys they've really been using as – um, uh, and this is, this was not the topic we need to get into. The two guys are even using as blocking tight ends. are Oliver and Boyle. They're 62% run when those guys are in a tight end.
2: So you're saying that would not work at the poker table.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's, yes, I'm bluffing. I'm bluffing. I'm bluffing hat you're wearing. Yes. yes.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I mean, I guess, I guess the, the counter to that would be that, uh, you might think that with an offense like that, they would. Have struggled to generate big plays, but they haven't, right? I mean they've 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 had they've had plenty of ten plus yard runs and plenty of twenty plus yard passes. I mean they're near the top of the league in in those. So I guess you you could say in the big picture, it's 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 worked pretty well, right?
1: Yeah, I th- I think it has worked well, and I, I think it's extraordinary what Roman has done with a, with a very limited set of personnel in terms of scheming for very high quality offense. And you know I. I I think it's fair right now, just the way I think it's fair to celebrate the wins on, on on good analytics plays, to celebrate Greg Roman a little bit right now for what he's done. I mean, this is one of the highest scoring offenses in the league. And it's not happening by accident, and it's not just 100% Lamar. Lamar's been terrific, but there are a bunch of other things that are being brought to play scheme-wise here that have, that have really worked. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very positive on it. I think if, if, if you're a Roman hater, this is not the time. To be talking about although you know there's still plenty of that out there right now after after any loss
2: i i was i was amazed there were people in the aftermath of the game on sunday talking about firing greg roman like you know are they gonna fire greg roman on monday and i was like how could that be your reaction to the first four games of the season i mean like there's there's plenty to be concerned about if you want to be concerned but you know you're just you're I, i i don't know what Pattern of thinking you're stuck in. If if that's your reaction to what we've seen so far this season, that just doesn't compute for me.
1: They, they are they are literally the second highest scoring team in the entire National Football League right now. I, I just I I wouldn't have any clue how you get there. It, it just it's just it, it boggles the mind. All right, uh we did not talk about this yet, but but, but I kind of teed it up a little bit before. What's going on with Nick Boyle? Back two weeks now, yeah. played four snaps the first week, none this week. What's going on?
2: yeah i mean i think i think we're at the point where you have to wonder if there's really a path toward him reclaiming a a a more significant role again i mean i it it just doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be happening um you know some of that is health but i mean he's been he's been practicing i mean he's he you know he's not he's not in the injury report at this point and he's been I mean, certainly when we talked to him coming into the season, he was very positive about where, where he stood with the knee and where he stood with his conditioning. Um, so I think look, he's he's a person that they value very highly in the culture of the organization. So they want to treat him well. Um, but it seems like they've decided he's just isn't one of their top three tight ends. I mean, you know, I, I, very few of us thought that Oliver was going to make the team, you know, even, even at the end of training camp. And he's playing a far more prominent role than Nick Boyle. So I mean, I think that tells you that tells you all you need to know, really. And you know, I mean, Ricard, Ricard, has sort of become their most important run blocker in the sense that Nick Boyle maybe used to be their most important run blocker. So I mean, that's you know, he's he's really an inline tight end in a lot of situations as well. So uh I don't I, I don't know what the path is for him, and you know, he may be I mean I, I'm not going to retire the guy. I mean, he's 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 a he's a proud athlete, and you know he has done really good things for this team, and you know is a very respected player in the locker room. But I I don't you know unless unless there's serious injuries in that group, it's hard to see how he gets on the field right now.
1: Yeah, I, I it may be for contract purposes they really can't retire him because you know they accelerate bonus money if they do that, and they don't have any cap this year. So I, I'm not sure what options they really have with Nick Boyle, and that may be part of what's going on. But I I also don't see the need to activate him if he's going to play seven special team snaps. So it, you, you, the value that the Ravens would gain is they have a fourth tight end in case one gets hurt that they can then put on the field. But if they're if they honestly <clears throat> want to exclude him from being on the field as much as they have in his two games back, I don't I don't think they're gaining that much over say a sixth offensive lineman if they want to run a different type of three tight end scheme. Uh, for the difference between you know Boyle and and whoever else it might be in there as the as the extra offensive lineman maybe Cologne.
2: No, it's a good question, and I think it's something that a lot of us have wondered. I mean, I, I know I know it's something we've, we've we've been talking about. So i i don't I don't know the answer, but but I certainly share the thought.
1: Okay. All right. Well, outstanding. Uh, you know, we had, we had 21 snaps out of, uh, actually Oliver's played 45 snaps the, the past two weeks and really seems like the blocking tight end. Uh, I think I mentioned some stuff about 11 personnel. So we'll leave that. Uh, you know, one of the things, one of the, the artifacts of going through a season like this, where you're using so many heavies and so few total wide receivers is there's a very little wide receiver opportunity on this team. Uh, Marquise Brown might've gotten out just in time in in, in some ways, but, you know, Bateman still gets a reasonable number of snaps, uh, Robinson until Bateman's injury had gotten very few snaps. Prochet's has barely gotten on the field for the same year. Same with Wallace. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be more difficult to find, in my opinion, a free agent wide receiver that they like, uh, that they want to bring in.
2: Yeah. I mean, the only, the only guy who's Obviously, really taking a big step forward this year in terms of opportunities is Duvernay mm-hmm. um, In terms of how much he's on the field now, he's still not being targeted a tremendous amount. I mean, you know, you're you're, you're probably talking what four or five targets in in his in his most prolific games of the season. He has done. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's done a tremendous job capitalizing on his opportunities. I mean, he's I think he's been the most reliable receiver on the team and mm-hmm. has made some big plays as well. Um, but even though that's obviously a, a major success story for him individually i think you're absolutely right it's not like it's sending the signal to somebody from outside that you know wow i'm going to come in and have four balls a game thrown my way that's that's not what a that's not what a top-notch free agent wide receiver is thinking so no i mean that uh if anything i mean we've heard that narrative for several years now and and i can't imagine it's uh it's going to go away if anything it's accelerated
1: yeah and and it what it means i think is the ravens are going to have to spend more draft capital at wide receiver you know get their guys that way instead of going and honestly given the quality of free agent receiver you typically get for the dollars involved i think it's probably the right way to go structurally you know right, right now there's a there's a big overpayment for veteran wide receivers that uh, i think the ravens have been very careful and effective at bucking that trend and particularly with the upcoming lamar contract i think it makes all the sense in the world for them to continue to do so
2: they have clearly decided we're not going to go shopping for edge rushers. We're not going to go shopping with wide receivers. They're not, it's, they're, they're not sensible buys and they're just not going to do it. I mean, I, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, I, obviously, one thing that gets, or to, to me, that gets lost when people nationally talk about the Ravens offense and talk about the lack of wide receivers is I do think that people do di- sort of discount the impact of Andrews. I mean, Andrews mm-hmm. is not a typical tight end. Um, he is, he's, he's making a, very, I mean, not not in this last game, but it, most weeks is making a very outsized impact as a receiver. And though and though he's not, he's obviously not an outside number one wide receiver. Um, you you at least have to factor him in when you when you think about their pass catching talent, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And and you know, Isaiah Likely you know, potentially is that as well. So Could be. Yeah. They've we've there's a, there's a lot. There's just fewer total targets in a Lamar led offense because Lamar is some of the pass targets by scramble. He's his own check down guy. So you don't have a, but you you lose some of those. Uh in a way, Andrews is getting a lot of garbage targets in addition to his base targets. And I'm trying to construct a way to analyze this, but my theory is that there's decreasing marginal value to additional targets. The problem is, trying to decide what targets are base targets and what targets are additional targets. But the, the, the the notion would be that because Andrews is the, go get the football guy for Lamar, meaning when he's in trouble, he can't find anybody else, throw it to Andrews one-on-one. That's, that's the automatic option. That's often going to be a contested target. It's, it may be one that Andrews has to knock down the ball or catch, but he just has to do the best he can. And, and those are not going to be high percentage uh, plays that, that, uh, that that he's going to get. Well, and we saw, um,
2: I think that, that, instinct for Lamar led to the first interception. Um, The, 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 the one that was deflected. Now he was unlucky on the deflection in in the sense that it went right up in the air and, you know, falls into a guy's arms. I mean, that's, that's bad luck, but um, him, him sort of trying to quickly force the ball to Andrews and, you know, throwing low and directly into a defensive lineman was, was not bad luck. And, you know, that, that sort of flows from, from what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, it's, it, it, that absolutely was on Lamar. I agree. Uh, let's talk, talk about a couple of scheme things, and we'll break this up, and and we'll come back for the second part. Talk offensive line and whatnot. Uh, eight of fourteen set and chip blockers, uh, 0.71 per play. That's a moderate number. Uh, it's a very high number for a game where the other team is rushing four every single play. So you know, I, they the the fact that they need to chip whoever Lelia is blocking on a substantial number of plays, and frankly, they need to do it for Moses as well, um, is something that that is holding back the offense. A, a chipping eligible receiver can only run so many routes not the standard ones they don't have a you know you, you don't get a route stem under those things you can go flat you can go you know some sort of short release route to be a check down guy you can go out in and, and be a blocker for lamar if he decides to scramble but there just aren't that many things you can do with a check down guy
2: yeah and that's that's obviously something where you know if we do get Stanley back soon you know does does that number go way down i mean you, you would
1: certainly hope so right that's the big question. I want to save that yes. for the beginning of the next segment. So <laughs> right, let's do that. Right. <laughs> they're, they're very effective on draw plays, uh, in this game. I thought that was one of the really nice things is they allowed mm-hmm. those, uh, edge rushers, particularly the ones who don't want to get any piece of faalele to basically run themselves out of the play to the outside and then get a draw play started that really created damage. I thought they're very effective doing that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we, we you know, we already talked about earlier. I mean, the, uh, the big game, the big game by Hill on that last drive, which uh, which really put them in position to 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 go for the touchdown. Uh, that was a draw. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, tell you what, uh, we'll take a short break here. We'll be back for the uh, second part to talk about the offensive line, some individual performance. Childs, we appreciate you staying with us. Great high quality content. Uh, where can they find you on Twitter for starters?
2: Yeah, uh, just at Childs Walker. Very simple.
1: All right, outstanding. We'll be back in a, in a couple of minutes, folks.